0: Are you ready for part two of chapter 11 We to figure out what is going on here? Why did he disappear? And, in case you didn't know, I think, I can't remember if it was in the first episode or if it'd be in this one, uh, scintillating. That was a great word. I really came, uh, when I came across that, I was like, that is a good one. So I actually looked it up, and basically it means brilliantly lively, stimulating, or witty. I really like that word, scintillating, so see if you can squeeze that into your next conversation. say so, scintillating. It's a great word. Anyway, <laughs> thank you, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle, for introducing me to a new word. And I uh, hope you guys are enjoying it so far. Let me know. i love to hear your feedback. i uh, love to uh, get support from the podcast uh, as well. Thank you so much for everyone who's sharing the podcast and just getting the word out there. It makes a huge difference. Uh, also, if you want to leave a review, I don't get notified of those, which is really annoying. Um, so if you do leave a review, please let me know. Shoot me an email, and I would love to give you shout out on the show so now without further ado let's get into the second part of chapter 11 of the return of sherlock holmes tell me i asked as we rattled up gray's inn road have you any suspicion yet as to the cause of the disappearance i don't think that among all our cases i've known one where the motives are more obscure surely you don't really imagine that he may be kidnapped in order to give information about his wealthy uncle I confess, my dear Watson, that that does not appeal to me as a very probable explanation. It struck me, however, as being the one which was most likely to interest that exceedingly unpleasant old person. It certainly did that. But what are your alternatives? I could mention several. You must admit that it is curious and suggestive that this incident should occur on the eve of this important match and should involve the only man whose presence seems essential to the success of the side. It may, of course, be a coincidence, but it is interesting. Amateur sport is free from betting, but a good deal of outside betting goes on among the public, and it is possible that it might be worth someone's while to get at a player as the ruffians of the turf get at a racehorse. There is one explanation. A second very obvious one is that this young man really is the heir of a great property, however modest his means may at present be, and it is not impossible that a plot to hold him for ransom might be concocted. These theories take no account of the telegram. Quite true, Watson. The telegram still remains the only solid thing with which we have to deal, and we must not permit our attention to wander away from it. It is to gain light upon the purpose of this telegram that we are now upon our way to Cambridge. The path of our investigation is at present obscure but i shall be very much surprised if before evening we have not cleared it up or made a considerable advance along it it was already dark when we reached the old university city holmes took a cab from the station and ordered the man to drive to the house of dr leslie armstrong a few minutes later we had stopped at a large mansion in the busiest thoroughfare We were shown in, and after a long wait were at last admitted into the consulting room, where we found the doctor seated behind his table. It argues the degree in which I had lost touch with my profession, that the name of Leslie Armstrong was unknown to me. Now I am aware that he is not only one of the heads of the medical school of the university, but a thinker of European reputation in more than one branch of science. Yet, even without knowing his brilliant record, one could not fail to be impressed by a mere glance at the man, the square, massive face, the brooding eyes under the thatched brows, and the granite moulding of the inflexible jaw. A man of deep character, a man with an alert mind, grim, ascetic, self-contained, formidable. So I read Dr. Leslie Armstrong. He held my friend's card in his hand, and he looked up with no very pleased expression upon his dour features. "'I have heard your name, Mr. Sherlock Holmes, and I am aware of your profession, one of which I by no means approve.' "'In that, Doctor, you will find yourself in agreement with every criminal in the country,' said my friend quietly. "'So far as your efforts are directed towards the suppression of crime, sir, they must have the support of every reasonable member of the community, though I cannot doubt that the official machinery is amply sufficient for the purpose.' Where your calling is more open to criticism is when you pry into the secrets of private individuals, when you rake up family matters which are better hidden, and when you incidentally waste the time of men who are more busy than yourself. At the present moment, for example, I should be writing a treatise instead of conversing with you. No doubt, Doctor, and yet the conversation may prove more important than the treatise, "'Incidentally, I may tell you that we are doing the reverse of what you very justly blame, and that we are endeavouring to prevent anything like public exposure of private matters which must necessarily follow when once the case is fairly in the hands of the official police. You may look upon me simply as an irregular pioneer who goes in front of the regular forces of the country. I have come to ask you about Mr. Godfrey Stanton.' "'What about him?' You know him, do you not? He is an intimate friend of mine. You are aware he has disappeared. Ah, indeed. There was no change of expression in the rugged features of the doctor. He left his hotel last night. He has not been heard of. No doubt he will return. Tomorrow is the varsity football match. I have no sympathies with these childish games. The young man's fate interests me deeply, since I know him and like him. The football match does not come within my horizon at all. I claim your sympathy, then, in my investigation of Mr. Stanton's fate. Do you know where he is? Certainly not. You have not seen him since yesterday? No, I have not. Was Mr. Stanton a healthy man? Absolutely. Did you ever know him ill? Never. Holmes pumped a sheet of paper before the doctor's eyes. Then perhaps you will explain this receipt bill for thirteen guineas, paid by Mr. Godfrey Stanton last month to Dr. Leslie Armstrong of Cambridge. I picked it out from among the papers upon his desk. The doctor flushed with anger. I do not feel that there is any reason why I should render an explanation to you, Mr. Holmes. Holmes replaced the bill in his notebook. If you prefer a public examination, it must come sooner or later, said he. I have already told you that I can hush up that which others will be bound to publish, and you would really be wiser to take me into your complete confidence. I know nothing about it. Did you hear from Mr. Stanton in London? Certainly not. Dear me, dear me, the post office again. Holmes sighed wearily. A most urgent telegram was dispatched to you from London by Godfrey Stanton at 6.15 yesterday evening, a telegram which is undoubtedly associated with his disappearance, and yet you have not had it. It is most culpable. I shall certainly go down to the office here and register a complaint. Dr. Leslie Armstrong sprang up from behind his desk, and his dark face was crimson with fury. I shall trouble you to walk out of my house, sir, said he. You can tell your employer, Lord Mount James, that I do not wish to have anything to do either with him or with his agents. No, sir, not another word. He rang the bell furiously. John, show these gentlemen out. A pompous butler ushered us severely to the door, and we found ourselves in the street. Holmes burst out laughing. Dr. Leslie Armstrong is certainly a man of energy and character, said he. I have not seen a man who, if he turns his talents that way, was more calculated to fill the gap left by the illustrious Moriarty. And now, my poor Watson, here we are, stranded and friendless in this inhospitable town, which we cannot leave without abandoning our case. This little inn just opposite Armstrong's house is singularly adapted to our needs. If you would engage a front room and purchase the necessaries for the night, I may have time to make a few inquiries." These few inquiries proved, however, to be a more lengthy proceeding than Holmes had imagined, for he did not return to the inn until nearly nine o'clock. He was pale and dejected, stained with dust, and exhausted with hunger and fatigue. A cold supper was ready upon the table, and when his needs were satisfied and his pipe alight, he was ready to take that half-comic and wholly philosophic view which was natural to him when his affairs were going awry. The sound of carriage wheels caused him to rise and glance out of the window, A broom and a pair of greys, under the glare of a gas lamp, stood before the doctor's door. "'It's been out three hours,' said Holmes. "'Started at half-past six, and here it is back again. That gives a radius of ten or twelve miles, and he does it once or sometimes twice a day.' "'No unusual thing for a doctor in practice.' "'But Armstrong is not really a doctor in practice. He is a lecturer and a consultant, but he does not care for general practice.' which distracts him from his literary work. Why then does he make these long journeys, which must be exceedingly irksome to him, and who is it that he visits? His coachman, my dear Watson, can you doubt that it was to him that I first applied? I do not know whether it came from his own innate depravity, or from the promptings of his master, but he was rude enough to set a dog at me. Neither dog nor man liked the look of my stick, however, and the matter fell through." Relations were strained after that, and further inquiries out of the question. All that I have learned I got from a friendly native in the yard at our own inn. It was he who told me of the doctor's habits and of his daily journey. At that instant, to give point to his words, the carriage came round to the door. "'Could you not follow it?' "'Excellent, Watson. You are scintillating this evening. The idea did cross my mind. There is, as you may have observed, a bicycle shop next to our inn.' "'Into this I rushed, engaged a bicycle, and was able to get started before the carriage was quite out of sight. I rapidly overtook it, and then, keeping at a discreet distance of a hundred yards or so, I followed its light until we were clear of the town. We had got well out on the country road when a somewhat mortifying incident occurred. The carriage stopped—' The doctor alighted, walked swiftly back to where I had also halted, and told me in an excellent sardonic fashion that he feared the road was narrow and that he hoped his carriage did not impede the passage of my bicycle. Nothing could have been more admirable than his way of putting it. I at once rode past the carriage and, keeping to the main road, I went on for a few miles and then halted in a convenient place to see if the carriage passed. There was no sign of it, however, and so it became evident that it had turned down one of the several side roads which I had observed. I rode back, but again saw nothing of the carriage, and now, as you perceive, it has returned after me. Of course, I had at the outset no particular reason to connect these journeys with the disappearance of Godfrey Stanton, and was only inclined to investigate them on the general grounds that everything which concerns Dr. Armstrong is at present of interest to us, But now that I find he keeps so keen a lookout upon anyone who may follow him on these excursions, the affair appears more important, and I shall not be satisfied until I have made the matter clear. We can follow him tomorrow. Can we? It is not so easy as you seem to think. You are not familiar with Cambridgeshire scenery, are you? It does not lend itself to concealment. All this country that I passed over tonight is as flat and clean as the palm of your hand, and the man we are following is no fool, as he very clearly showed to-night. I have wired to Overton to let us know any fresh London developments of this address. And in the meantime we can only concentrate our attention upon Dr. Armstrong, whose name the obliging young lady at the office allowed me to read upon the counterfoil of Stanton's urgent message. He knows where the young man is, to that I'll swear, and if he knows, then it must be our own fault if we cannot manage to know also. At present it must be admitted that the odd trick is in his possession, and, as you are aware, Watson, it is not my habit to leave the game in that condition. And yet the next day brought us no nearer to the solution of the mystery. A note was handed in after breakfast, which Holmes passed across to me with a smile. "'Sir,' it ran, "'I can assure you that you are wasting your time in dogging my movements.' I have, as you discovered last night, a window at the back of my brougham, and if you desire a twenty-mile ride which will lead you to the spot from which you started, you have only to follow me. Meanwhile, I can inform you that no spying upon me can in any way help Mr. Godfrey Stanton, and I am convinced that the best service you can do to that gentleman is to return at once to London and to report to your employer that you are unable to trace him. Your time in Cambridge will certainly be wasted. Yours faithfully, Leslie Armstrong. "'An outspoken, honest antagonist is the doctor,' said Holmes. "'Well, well, he excites my curiosity, and I must really know before I leave him.' "'His carriage is at his door now,' said I. "'There he is, stepping into it. "'I saw him glance up at our window as he did so. "'Suppose I try my luck upon the bicycle?' "'No, no, my dear Watson, with all respect for your natural acumen, "'I do not think that you are quite a match for the worthy doctor.' I think that, possibly, I can attain our end by some independent explorations of my own. I am afraid that I must leave you to your own devices, as the appearance of two inquiring strangers upon a sleepy countryside might excite more gossip than I care for. No doubt you will find some sights to amuse you in this venerable city, and I hope to bring back a more favorable report to you before evening. Once more, however, my friend was destined to be disappointed— he came back at night weary and unsuccessful. I have had a blank day, Watson. Having got the doctor's general direction, I spent the day in visiting all the villages upon that side of Cambridge and comparing notes with publicans and other local news agencies. I have covered some ground. Chesterton, Histon, Waterbeach, and Oakington have all been explored and have each proved disappointing. The daily appearance of a broom and pear could hardly have been overlooked in such sleepy hollows. The doctor has scored once more. Is there a telegram for me? Yes, I opened it. Here it is. Ask for Pompeii from Jeremy Dixon, Trinity College. I don't understand it. Oh, it is clear enough. It is from our friend Overton and is in answer to a question from me. I'll just send round a note to Mr. Jeremy Dixon, and then I have no doubt that our luck will return. By the way, is there any news of the match? Yes, the local evening paper had an excellent account in its last edition. Oxford won by a goal in two tries. The last sentences of the description say, This defeat of the light blues may be entirely attributed to the unfortunate absence of the crack international Godfrey Stanton, whose want was felt at every instant of the game. The lack of combination in the three-quarter line, and their weakness both in attack and defense, more than neutralized the efforts of a heavy and hard-working pack. "'then our friend Overton's forebodings may have been justified,' said Holmes. "'Personally I am in agreement with Dr. Armstrong, and football does not come within my horizon. "'Early to bed tonight, Watson, for I foresee that tomorrow may be an eventful day.' "'I was horrified by my first glimpse of Holmes next morning, "'for he sat by the fire holding his tiny hypodermic syringe.' I associated that instrument with the single weakness of his nature, and I feared the worst when I saw it glittering in his hand. He laughed at my expression of dismay, and laid it upon the table. "'No, no, my dear friend, there is no cause for alarm. It is not upon this occasion the instrument of evil, but it will rather prove to be the key which will unlock our mystery. On this syringe I base all my hopes. I have just returned from a small scouting expedition, and everything is favorable. Eat a good breakfast, Watson, for I propose to get upon Dr. Armstrong's trail to-day, and once on it I will not stop for rest or food until I run him to his burrow. In that case, said I, we had best carry our breakfast with us, for he is making an early start. His carriage is at the door. Never mind, let him go. He will be clever if he can drive where I cannot follow him. When you have finished, come downstairs with me, and I will introduce you to a detective who is a very eminent specialist in the work that lies before us. When we descended, I followed Holmes into the stable-yard, where he opened the door of a loose box and let out a squat, lop-eared, white-and-tan dog, something between a beagle and a foxhound. Let me introduce you to Pompeii, said he. "'Pompey is the pride of the local drag-hounds, no very great flyer, as his build will show, but a staunch hound on a scent. Well, Pompey, you may not be fast, but I expect you will be too fast for a couple of middle-aged London gentlemen, so I will take the liberty of fastening this leather leash to your collar. Now, boy, come along and show what you can do.' He led him across to the doctor's door. The dog sniffed round for an instant, then, with a shrill whine of excitement, started off down the street— Tugging at his leash in his efforts to go faster. In half an hour we were clear of the town and hastening down a country road. What have you done, Holmes? I asked. A threadbare and venerable device, but useful upon occasion. I walked into the doctor's yard this morning and shot my syringe full of aniseed over the hind wheel. A draghound will follow aniseed from here to John O'Groats, and our friend Armstrong would have to drive through the camp before he would shake Pompeii off his trail. "'Oh, the cunning rascal! "'This is how he gave me the slip the other night.' The dog had suddenly turned out of the main road into a grass-grown lane. Half a mile further, this opened into another broad road, and the trail turned hard to the right in the direction of the town, which we had just quitted. The road took a sweep to the south of the town, and continued in the opposite direction to that in which we started. "'This detour has been entirely for our benefit, then,' said Holmes. No wonder that my inquiries among those villagers led to nothing. The doctor has certainly played the game for all it is worth, and one would like to know the reason for such elaborate deception. This should be the village of Trumpington to the right of us. And by Jove, here is the brome coming round the corner. Quick, Watson, quick, or we are done!" He sprang through a gate into a field, dragging the reluctant Pompeii after him. We had hardly got under the shelter of the hedge when the carriage rattled past. I caught a glimpse of Dr. Armstrong within, his shoulders bowed, his head sunk on his hands, the very image of distress. I could tell by my companion's graver face that he also had seen. "'I fear that there is some dark ending to our quest,' said he. "'It cannot be long before we know it. Come, Pompey. Ah, it is the cottage in the field.' "'There could be no doubt that we had reached the end of our journey.' Pompey ran about and whined eagerly outside the gate, where the marks of the brougham's wheels were still to be seen. A footpath led across to the lonely cottage. Holmes tied the dog to the hedge, and we hastened onward. My friend knocked at the little rustic door, and knocked again without response. And yet the cottage was not deserted, for a low sound came to our ears, a kind of drone of misery and despair which was indescribably melancholy. Holmes paused, irresolute and then he glanced back at the road which we had just traversed. A brougham was coming down it, and there could be no mistaking those grey horses. "'By Jove, the doctor is coming back!' cried Holmes. "'That settles it. We are bound to see what it means before he comes.' He opened the door, and we stepped into the hall. The droning sound swelled louder upon our ears, until it became one long, deep wail of distress. It came from upstairs. Holmes darted up, and I followed him. We pushed open a half-closed door, and we both stood appalled at the sight before us. A woman, young and beautiful, was lying dead upon the bed. Her calm, pale face, with dim, wide-open blue eyes, looked upward from amid a great tangle of golden hair. At the foot of the bed, half-sitting, half-kneeling, his face buried in the clothes, was a young man whose frame was racked by his sobs. So absorbed was he by his bitter grief that he never looked up, "'until Holmes's hand was on his shoulder. "'Are you Mr. Godfrey Stanton?' "'Yes, yes I am. "'But you are too late. "'She is... dead.' "'The man was so dazed "'that he could not be made to understand "'that we were anything but doctors "'who had been sent to his assistance. "'Holmes was endeavouring to utter "'a few words of consolation "'and to explain the alarm which had been caused "'to his friends by his sudden disappearance "'when there was a step upon the stairs,' and there was the heavy, stern, questioning face of Dr. Armstrong at the door. "'So, gentlemen,' said he, "'you have attained your end and have certainly chosen a particularly delicate moment for your intrusion. "'I will not brawl in the presence of death, "'but I can assure you that if I were a younger man, "'your monstrous conduct would not pass with impunity.' "'Excuse me, Dr. Armstrong,' "'I think we are a little at cross purposes,' said my friend with dignity. "'If you could step downstairs with us, we may each be able to give some light to the other upon this miserable affair.' A minute later the grim doctor and ourselves were in the sitting-room below. "'Well, sir,' said he, "'I wish you to understand in the first place that I am not employed by Lord Mount James, and that my sympathies in this matter are entirely against that nobleman." When a man is lost, it is my duty to ascertain his fate, but having done so, the matter ends so far as I am concerned, and so long as there is nothing criminal, I am much more anxious to hush up private scandals than to give them publicity. If, as I imagine, there is no breach of the law in this matter, you can absolutely depend upon my discretion and my cooperation in keeping the facts out of the papers." Dr. Armstrong took a quick step forward and wrung Holmes by the hand. ''You are a good fellow,'' said he. ''I had misjudged you. I thank heaven that my compunction at leaving poor Stanton, all alone in this plight, caused me to turn my carriage back and so to make your acquaintance. Knowing as much as you do, the situation is very easily explained. A year ago, Godfrey Stanton lodged in London for a time, and became passionately attached to his landlady's daughter, whom he married. She was as good as she was beautiful, and as intelligent as she was good. No man need be ashamed of such a wife. But Godfrey was the heir to this crabbed old nobleman, and it was quite certain that the news of his marriage would have been the end of his inheritance. I knew the lad well, and I loved him for his many excellent qualities. I did all I could to help him to keep things straight. We did our very best to keep the thing from everyone, for when once a whisper gets about— it is not long before everyone has heard it. Thanks to this lonely cottage, and his own discretion, Godfrey has up to now succeeded. Their secret was known to no one save to me, and one excellent servant, who has at present gone for assistance to Trumpington. But at last there came a terrible blow in the shape of a dangerous illness to his wife. It was consumption of the most virulent kind. The poor boy was half crazed with grief, and yet he had to go to London to play this match, for he could not get out of it without explanations which would expose his secret. I tried to cheer him up by wire, and he sent me one in reply, imploring me to do all I could. This was the telegram which you appear in some inexplicable way to have seen. I did not tell him how urgent the danger was, for I knew that he could do no good here, but I sent the truth to the girl's father, and he very injudiciously communicated it to Godfrey. The result was that he came straight away in a state bordering on frenzy, and has remained in the same state, kneeling at the end of her bed, until this morning death put an end to her sufferings. That is all, Mr. Holmes, and I am sure that I can rely upon your discretion and that of your friend. Holmes grasped the doctor's hand. Come, Watson, said he, and we passed from that house of grief into the pale sunlight of the winter day. another great chapter from this book only two more to go so hit me up let me know what you would like to hear next on the podcast I definitely love to hear from you thank you so much for listening guys thank you for sharing the podcast uh it just means so much to me to see it uh, growing and uh new people coming on board so uh yeah tell somebody that you know about the podcast if you do want to support the podcast in a more tangible way then you can always go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com you can sign up to become a patron uh which is huge you can uh buy merchandise from the merchandise store all those are hand-drawn illustrations by yours truly so go check those out um even if you don't buy one i would just love to hear your feedback on what you like and what you don't like i'd love to put out some more of those so hit me up audiobooks at gmail.com thanks guys for listening and we'll catch you next week